Hello, and welcome to The Writing Forge, where we discuss tips and tricks for honing your writing. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And we're your hosts. Let's Let's get get into it. it. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Today, you have just me and Miranda here, and we are going to rant at you for a little bit about our writing pet peeves. Oh, boy. (laughs) Got so many. Maybe it's reading pet peeves. That's Less, true. Good point. Yeah. But we're we're coming at it from the point of view of things in books that we either do not like or have made us DNF a book, did not finish. Mm-hmm. And so Which um, is useful for writers because you don't want to make your readers not finish their book. True. So like. Yeah. And then some of these things do tie into writing as well. Yes. But we're going to get into it. It's yes. going to be juicy. It's gonna Maybe. Be so good. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be ranty, that's for yeah. sure. So the first one we wanted to talk about is is um, playing tricks on the reader. That is that is not something that I, I don't appreciate writers playing tricks on me. Um, the biggest, and I think I've brought this up before, example that I can come up with is, and the reason that I made a Goodreads account so that I could give a book one star, um, was Marissa Meyer's Renegades, where there was a crucial reveal in the very i think the very last chapter one of the very last chapters of uh and i don't i won't spoil it for you in case you want to read it but like uh something that the character should have thought about before a a major thing there were plenty of opportunities where she would have reasonably thought about this and she didn't just because the author wanted it to be a big reveal at the end of the book yeah that's not that's not a good reason to hold a logical thought yeah if it's something that requires a whole lot of puzzle pieces, mm-hmm. that is completely different. Yes. If you have to, like, assemble all the puzzle pieces and you don't get the last puzzle piece until the very end and then that's what makes you have the thought, that is something done well. Right. You have well. to do that. Yeah. Exactly. But if it's something that you thought of back in Chapter 3, mm-hmm. the character just mysteriously doesn't think about it until right. the end, yep. that is that that is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so another thing that I don't like, like I this kind of falls under like playing tricks on the reader is when the author is being unnecessarily coy, like when they're dangling this piece of information in front of you and they're like, oh, are you going to get it? Are you going to get it? Do you get like, oh, no, I'm not going to give you that piece of information. Not till later, but I'm going to hint that it's going to come later. And it's like most of the time your reveal is not surprising. Mm. Uh, I think there are some like very infamous twists, like, you know, the sixth sense Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. There are some things that can pull off a twist really well. But a lot of times things are not that twisty and they're (laughs) not as twisty as you want to think they are. Mm. And so if you're building up this big giant reveal and it's something that is really simple and like, come on, seriously. And they're just, they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I've got this big old twist. And you're like, no, it was his cousin. <laughs> That's not a twist. Yeah. Called that in chapter two. No. Oh, but you don't, you don't, but which cousin? It doesn't. <laughs> no. Stop, please. For the love of God. And, and sort of maybe related to both of those and more of our pet peeves later on, but just the idea of characters making uncharacteristic decisions just because the plot calls for it so like in my example of hiding pov thoughts like the plot needed a big reveal at the end and so we're going to make this character not do something that is in her personality to do having a consistent character is is super important and if the thing that your character will do goes against your plot then you might need to reevaluate reevaluate your plot or redo your character but um just 
making them uncharacteristic for a bit just for the plot is not. Or the inverse. Like, Mm. say that there's a character who is a healer. She's been a healer. She's been a healer the whole time. Mm -hmm. And she cares about people. She stops and she helps someone all along the way. And then because the plot twist requires a murder, suddenly she's murdering somebody. (laughs) Right, yeah. It's like, no, you didn't build that up. You didn't foreshadow it. You didn't nothing. Just out of nowhere because you decided this character B needed to die. Character A kills them and there is zero setup. Like, I, like. Make sure your characters are consistent is basically what it comes down to, because whether it's something that they should have thought of and didn't or whether it's something that they did and you didn't have that in their personality anywhere, uh, like both of those are unacceptable. And I know, I know some people are going to come at me and be like, oh, but people do unpredictable things all the time. And I'm going to say, one, it's fiction, so it's not real life, and therefore <laughs> you must follow different rules. One of those True. rules is you have to set up things up. Mm-hmm. And then two, did it actually come out of nowhere? Right. Or did people just miss the signs? Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Foreshadowing is super important for any of these things. If if you want to have someone make a suddenly uncharacteristic decision, so you want your healer to suddenly murder someone, well, have laid out the whole time that the person that she is eventually going to murder, like, killed her family 20 years ago or something, right? And and have her be fighting against these violent thoughts or something. That's just one possible way of doing it. But you can lay fo- foreshadowing, lay the foundation out ahead of time uh, so that whatever decision your character makes does fit their personality, even though to other people around them it might seem uncharacteristic. Or you can have a conversation earlier where it's like, oh, you know, you're a healer, do no harm. And it's like, mm, mostly. What <laughs> yeah. do you mean mostly? Well, well mostly. Mostly, yeah. And so, like, one of my favorite quotes is, all medicines are poisons. Mm. And so you could thread in something like that that. just to hint that, okay, maybe not everything is going to go sunshiny and helpful for this particular fictional character. Mm -hmm. God, another thing I can't stand is when characters are stupid. (laughs) Uh, I am – I do not make it (laughs) – a secret. I, I am not a fan of stupid humor. And you're not talking about like they are of lower intelligence. You're talking about making. I'm I'm talking about like there's there's one thing like low like if, if I can reference D&D, there's a low intelligence score, but you can also have high wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about characters who do dumb things for dumb things sake. <laughs> like like I never had a lot of tolerance for the class clowns who did stupid things just to get a rise out of the teacher or the classroom or things of that nature. I personally just absolutely hate that. Um, Obviously, that behavior in real people stems from, you know, other sources, like, you know, probably trouble at home, things of that nature. There's something that they're not getting that they're trying to get a rise out of other people now. And I understand that. But uh, there's a quote floating around in the writing world that is like the most unforgivable sin is being boring. And for me, the second most unforgivable sin is being stupid. <laughs> like, like it's it's the decision that everyone is like yelling at the character. Why are you checking this out? You know, in the horror film or like just making unintelligent decisions that any person of average intelligence would choose to do something a little bit smarter. 
And so, yeah, I I have a real hard time with that. Like, oh, here's a cliff. I'm going to jump off of it with no plan. Why any reasonable character would at least try to have a plan or circumstance would force them to jump off the cliff anyway. And the entire right. time they would be going, oh, my God, this Why is dumb. This, this? Is dumb. Yeah. this is dumb. This is dumb. This is dumb. Which, you know, hanging a lantern on things. Yes. Is, is a way to fix a lot of these pet peeves of ours if you make it clear, you know, that you know what you're doing and that you know that your character is seemingly... Uh, stupid or inconsistent or whatever. But that kind of leads into, I know, one of your big pet peeves. Yes. I don't like miscommunication for no reason or or like the um, the thing in a movie where, you know, the two people are in love and they've been f- avoiding it. I specifically think of a TV show. Actually, it's probably happened in lots of TV shows, but they're like, I have something really important to tell you as soon as we finish this other big thing. And it's like, no, just tell them now. Like, stop uh, artificially stalling it and uh, and making there be more tension than we need to uh, just. Well, that's the thing, though, is that it's not tension. Yeah. Oh, I got to tell you this thing. I think that kind of ties back into the author trying to be coy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I have something to tell you, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Like, either don't have them say anything. Yeah, just don't bring it up. <laughs> either don't bring it up or just say what you're going to say. Yeah. And there, there are other types of miscommunication, too, that are annoying. Just like, I don't know. Oh, the, the character who doesn't stick around for the eavesdropping. Mm. Like, they hear one bad thing about themselves. Oh, and yeah, they yeah, yeah. And then they leave. leave. Yeah. And the next sentence, the very next sentence, if they had stayed for 10 more (laughs) seconds, they would have heard, you know, something that changed the whole framework of the thing that they heard. I hate that. Like, first off, uh, for me personally, if I hear someone, if I overhear someone bad talking me, oh, man, I am staying for as long as I can get away with. (laughs) Well, so what if someone comes and finds you? Anyway. But that. That's, that's a, a more that's a more logical explanation mm. of someone getting pulled away point, versus yeah. my feelings were hurt and so now I'm gonna go run and cry. Like stay for ten more seconds. Seriously, ten more seconds. Like, okay, you know, hold on to your emotions, handle it for a sec, and see what else is going on. Especially when so many plot points hinge on that particular action. Yeah. I think if it just happened and it became a talking point for like the relationship between the characters later, I would hate that trope a lot less. Mm. But it's something that they do and it's always like they're missing a plot point. Like right. the whole last third of Shrek is based on <laughs> yeah. him hearing her talk about an ogre and then right. him pitching a hissy fit and storming off. Right. Yeah. Um I don't have an immediate solution as to what could else could happen because I haven't really thought about it that hard. <laughs> but, like, a lot of times when that is used, it is used to that effect of, like, okay, now things are going to blow up because there was one slight miscommunication. I mean, the problem is, of course, that people do miscommunicate all the time, and that is a major life plot point. Yes, <laughs> it is. But there are, I feel like there are ways to do it better. Yeah. And again, I think it's it goes back to the character motivations and the consistency and not just doing things because the plot says, well, we're at the end of the first act. Something bad needs to happen. So, yeah. How about that? Something else that really bugs me is I, f- I feel like I'm talking way more than you. <laughs> so, but I have opinions. Yeah, lots of friends. No. I have opinions. Gosh darn it. And so another thing that really grinds my gears are, like, forced relationships. Mm. Whether it's a friendship, whether it's a makeup, whether it's, like, say a character goes through the whole book hating his father. Mm. And then at the end, you're supposed to find peace with the father. Right. And so then, you know, 
like one thing happens and they're like, my okay. entire terrible childhood is it's fine been now. Yeah. Exactly. Like that it's so forced. Or if there's two characters who have absolutely zero chemistry. And I'm not talking like enemies to lovers. That's a yeah, whole yeah. different thing. But characters that have gone through the whole story with very set motivations, very set personalities that have never quite meshed and then suddenly in the third act they're kissing. Right. Like, you you have done nothing to build that relationship unless it's based on adrenaline or convenience. I do not buy into the fact that these two people love each other just because you said so now. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's a lot of pressure if we're talking about romantic relationships for for people to feel like they have to have some kind of romance subplot. Now, if you're writing a romance novel, you have Clearly. to have romance in there. <laughs> um and, and romance subplots are great um, in a lot of different genres. Yes. But you don't have to have one. And so don't feel like, oh, well, I haven't had anyone fall in love yet with my main character. So uh, how about you? You know, nearest person of the type that they're attracted to. You know, like either it, either don't do a romance or set it up properly. And I feel like a lot of the pet peeves that I have could be solved yes. with some decent setup or mm-hmm. some decent justifications. Mm-hmm. And and I was even thinking, like, it was good that you made that uh, clarification at the beginning that this is us as readers, because this is us looking at a final, a finished, a published project. True, yes. Um, that could have, that should have been better, could have been better. Um, don't feel bad if you're in your first draft and you're like, oh, I wanted a romance subplot. How about this person? Like, that's okay. Like, finish, finish your first draft, then yes. go back and, and edit it and add in. The foreshadowing and fix the character motivations and so forth. Yes. Um, like, this is so not about drafting. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. about published on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Some of them have been New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> so then I'm How? Like, I have yeah, exactly. no idea. <laughs> so and then it makes us wonder maybe we're wrong. But <laughs> And if it's such an easy fix, too, I don't understand why it doesn't happen. Mm. Like, obviously, you know, with the publishing industry the way it is, editors are, you know, they're, they're being forced to do quite a lot in quite a short period of time, and there's not a lot of time to go back and fix stuff. So I feel like there's quite a bit of good enough yeah. going on. Well, uh, just generally with art, like, it's never done, but at some point you have to cut it off and, and send it out the door. But also there are some fixes, guys, <laughs> that are so small. It's like, <laughs> please have a writing group or some beta readers or right. something. I just finished a book recently. The plot hinged on the character using this special type of ink. The first time we heard about this ink was when the plot hinged on it. <laughs> yeah, that's... We didn't hear about it earlier. And I specifically went back and did a search in the Kindle book because I was not going to read it again. <laughs> but I specifically went back and did a search in the Kindle book and I just searched ink to see if it was mentioned anywhere else in the book. And it wasn't. And it would have been so simple to just say, you know, she wrote in this very special ink at the beginning. Yeah. Or she had to go pick up more of this very special ink Mm -hmm. later. It would have like two mentions, three mentions. It would have taken almost zero words, like a sentence, three more sentences. That's all it would have taken for this to have been set up. And it just wasn't. And that's a key point of foreshadowing generally is that you don't want to lay it on too heavy. And and quite possibly in cases like this, people are afraid of their readers figuring it out too early. Um, so you want to be subtle. We were talking about don't be too coy, but also be subtle uh, with your foreshadowing. But subtle is not coy, I yeah, don't think. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then foreshadow, foreshadow quite a bit too. I know, I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh, well, I'm doing this trope. 
Um, but because I'm doing this trope, it's going to be super obvious. So I'm not going to mention it at all. Mm. And it's like, that's not that's not the correct way to go about it. Tropes are OK. Yeah. In fact, tropes draw people to works and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like I have seen whole books advertised on there was only one bed or they were roommates <laughs> or, right, yeah, yeah. you know, like sometimes the trope is the selling point. So don't don't try to. If it's the heart of the story and you're trying, again, to be coy, you're trying to hide it, you're trying to just, just don't, just lay it out there. It's yeah. okay. You're A lot of times surprises aren't as surprising as people want them to be. And it's yeah. just, please stop trying to make it seem like you're reinventing fiction because <laughs> you're not. Right. So. Well, and there's a certain amount of, like, if you write well, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you don't, not everything needs, like, I can watch a movie and call at the beginning that I, that this guy is going to be this guy's long lost brother or whatever, right? Um, and turn out for that to be true. And I still enjoy the movie because the movie was good, right? So the same thing with a book. If you can write something really well, then you can do pretty much anything you want. Yeah, that is true. All of these become not a big deal if you can pull it off. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people try to do it without. Yeah. A lot of people try to do it and then don't have the skill to do what they're trying to accomplish, which that's not a bad thing. Like practice. Mm -hmm. Like everyone needs practice. Art is always evolving. Not saying never try these things ever, but it's definitely something where if it's not done well and it's made it to final publishing state, I will put it down. (laughs) Yeah. And that's just the principle of um, you can break any rule, but you need to understand what the rule is. So like you're talking about subverting your tropes. You can subvert a trope, but you have to have a really solid understanding of that trope and how it works in order to subvert a trope properly. Yes. Um, You can't just be like, well, I'm going to ignore that because I don't want to do it because I think it's dumb or whatever. It's Um, tropey and I don't want to do tropes. So we're going to start here, but end completely somewhere else. We're going to end somewhere random that makes zero sense just because I didn't want to follow the The trope trope formula. Mm -hmm. That's not the way to break a trope. No. And I think probably for like the final thing that really makes it hard for me to finish a book are the soapboxes. Are mm. the soapboxes that are not done well. Because a lot of books have a message that right. they're trying to get across. They have, you know, like there there are things that they want to talk about, like sexism, gender equality, uh, environmentalism, like pick your cause. There's lots of books that have undertones to that. But where it gets hard for me is when... There's very clearly something that was a rant that they had (laughs) and that they just dropped into the book. Mm. Like, like the themes are, again, I guess it comes back to subtlety. The themes Mm. are very unsubtle, very much bashing you over the head with a baseball bat because this is my issue. And it's like, we get it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and maybe some of that is necessary depending on the issue. Maybe it's something that has never been talked about before. So it needs a little extra candor and a little extra explanation and a little extra context. And again, that has a purpose. But the ones that I really don't like are the ones that are like, men are evil. (laughs) And that's just it. And then they go on a giant rant about how men are evil. And that is the whole book. (laughs) And it's like the whole book. And it's like it's not even one character going on a rant about it one time because she went through a bad breakup or something like that. No, it is all 400 pages. And so, like, soapboxes can be fun, 
especially if an expert has a very specific soapbox. Right. It's kind of fun to watch them go off. But I don't think your entire book should be that unless... No, I don't think any book should be that, (laughs) if I'm being honest. Like, portions of it can be, maybe lines of dialogue, but... Well, and one thing with that is, like, do literally all of your characters in the whole book have that same point of view, right? So, so like, even if you're in one point of view character's head and they have these strong feelings, there are going to be other people they interact with who don't agree with them, right? And Mm -hmm. a book is a great place to explore... Uh, perspectives on an issue and having different characters with different points of view on this issue. Nuance. Nuance, yeah. Makes a huge difference in terms of not making your reader feel like you're bashing them over the head with the lesson that you want them to learn. Mm-hmm. And and really, all of these things, if you're worried about accidentally doing one of these, like that's why it's so important to get lots of eyes on your book before you publish it, right? Like critique group, beta, beta readers, readers, editors, um, people who agree with you, people who don't agree with you. In fact, um, please find people yeah. who don't agree with you and have them read it. Yeah. Their feedback's probably going to be the hardest to take. Yeah. But I think it'll also be super valuable. Yeah. So get perspectives, listen, try to um, take take feedback, take it with a grain of salt. But um, And again, these are just my personal opinions. You're going to find people who have no problem with a lot of these tropes. And you're going to find people that have very, very different pet peeves. Mm. And so this is just pet peeves from, you know, one author reader yes. and, an, Two. and a, and a <laughs> author editor, editor yeah. reader. These are the, some of the things that we really dislike, but other people will be perfectly fine with it. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that you pointed out that some of these books that we've read that are pet peeves for us are number one bestsellers. So Exactly. So when we say take other people feedback with a grain of salt that also includes us that's true yes follow so. your heart get feedback from other people please and then get. follow your heart <laughs> please get feedback from other people question for our listeners what are some of your big pet peeves let us know that we're not ranting into a void yeah. at our socials in the description stay, stay sharp my friends no both of us we okay. can both do it, can do it. Stay, stay sharp, sharp my, my friends, friends. To learn more about The Writing Forge, check out our social links in the episode description. Subscribe to The Writing Forge wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. For more informational writing content, be sure to become a Writing Heights member.